Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. One year ago, Chicago chose its new mayor. An historic night, Lori Lightfoot is elected mayor of Chicago, beating Tony Preckwinkle 74 to 26 percent. Since then, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot has had to balance the city budget, gone toe-to-toe with aldermen, negotiate with the teachers union on strike, and now lead a city amid a growing pandemic. The truth is 40,000 hospitalizations will break our health care system. Stay home, save lives. Joining me now on the line is Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Mayor Lightfoot, welcome back to Reset. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jen. So first of all, I, I want to start with you. How are you doing right now? Well, uh, I think I'm as good as can be expected in the middle of a pandemic. This is uh, certainly one of the more challenging experiences that I've ever had to navigate. Um, but I think we are doing well as a city, as well as can be expected. And I, I truly am energized by um, the way in which Chicagoans really from everywhere have stepped up in this amazing moment. So that that gives me a lot of energy. Um, It helps me be resilient in this challenging time. So a key issue right now is for hospitals to make sure they have enough so-called PPE or personal protective equipment for their healthcare workers like masks and gowns. And the city has been distributing PPE to Chicago hospitals. How much have you been able to distribute from the stockpile of supplies? And when do you project that might run out? Well, look, we've been distributing uh, PPE and other request uh, equipment, not only to healthcare workers, but also our frontline first responders since the beginning of this uh, pandemic. Luckily, our Chicago Department of Public Health stockpiles these materials all year round so that in the event that we need them, we're ready to go. And so we're drawing upon our own stockpile now. We've made various requests to the federal government, which candidly have either gone unanswered or we've only gotten a fraction of what we've requested. Uh, But we are actively engaged in looking at um, other procurement uh, opportunities to make sure that we don't run out. Um, The fact that CDPH distributes PPE and other materials to hospitals is unusual. We don't typically um, do that because most hospitals, that's something that is a a regular part of their procurement process. But this isn't an ordinary time. We've said that many, many times already. Um, So this is an all-hands-on-deck effort. We feel um, like we are well-situated, but we're not leaving anything to chance. And we are turning over every rock and stone to make sure that we are procuring additional materials so that we don't run out, so that we have what's necessary to protect our healthcare workers and our first responders. Well, last week you shut down the lakefront to prevent too many Chicagoans from congregating near each other. We know weather is going to continue to warm up. Today is is unseasonably sunny. What conversations are you having right now about keeping Chicagoans from venturing out too much? Well, we're going to continue the messaging that we started officially over a week ago, which is to stay home and save lives. And I know that, like any Chicagoan, when the weather starts to warm and those sunny days beckon, you want to be outside and you want to be enjoying um, a, a lot of great things in the city. But now it's just not the time for that. We've got to stay diligent, stay the course on staying home to save lives. And we're going to continue to make sure that we do that messaging. We are going to continue to educate people into compliance. But as uh, Superintendent Beck himself said last week, we're also not going to hesitate to do enforcement action if we have to. We hope that that doesn't that only results in a dispersal 
oral directive and not any more aggressive um, action. But um, if we need to, we will. I will say that for the most part, really all over the city, uh, people are really complying. They get it. But there are still some pockets of uh, resistance, and we're going to do everything that we can to really reach out directly to those folks um, and really um, speak to them about why this isn't negotiable. It's an order, and people have to stay home. We called out to listeners to solicit their questions for you. And this is a listener question about ongoing construction from Teresa in the West Loop. I've noticed a number of construction sites in my neighborhood that have contractors taking deliveries of concrete and other materials, as well as working both inside and outside these sites during the day. Why are these workers considered essential under the pandemic guidelines? Mayor Lightfoot, will Chicago halt construction, at least in residential areas? Um, We are not planning to halt construction. Governor Pritzker's order specifically identified uh, construction as one of the essential services. But what I will say is that we've stepped up um, our oversight of these sites and and really said to uh, the general contractors and owners that are responsible, you've got to make sure that your workers are safe that they, are, they understand what safety means in the context of a pandemic, that you have lots of resources on site that are available from masks and gloves and hand sanitizing equipment, ways in which they can uh, wash their hands, and social distancing is critically important. So while construction continues, it's a vital part of our economy, and we want to keep as many people working as possible. We've got to do it um, in a way that reflects the new reality that we're all working with, uh, which is a pandemic that requires us to make certain sacrifices. Well, speaking of safety, we got a listener question about increasing hate crimes against Asian Americans. This is Mia from the Tri-Taylor neighborhood. As an Asian American, I am actually afraid to go outside without wearing sunglasses and a mask and a hood. Um, And I'm wondering if you have practical advice on how I can feel more safe. Mayor Lightfoot. Well, wow, I got to tell you, that's that's devastating to hear that somebody feels like they've got to hide their identity um, as an Asian American or any person of color because of the time that we're in. Look, unfortunately, uh, xenophobia has been rearing its ugly head way before this pandemic um, hit uh, because of some of the um, really unhelpful and I would say racist statements that have come from the president. Uh, We've been very clear in the city that really hate has no home here in Chicago and that we've done everything that we can to emphasize that we are a welcoming city, done everything that we can to make sure that uh, people, regardless of their country of origin, ethnicity, race or background, understand that they are part of the Chicago fabric. And we're going to continue to make sure that we emphasize that. As I said, it's hard to hear somebody who feels like they've got to hide their identity uh, by going out in public. Um, As an African-American woman, I'm never going to hide who I am. I'm going to proudly be who I am. And we want to create the environment where people can live their authentic lives uh, without fear. Mayor Lightfoot, I want to highlight some dates here. The first confirmed case of COVID-19 was reported on January 24th. About a month later, on February 26th, you expressed frustration with the CDC warning that Americans should start preparing for the virus to cause a severe disruption in their lives. At the time, you said people should go about their daily lives. Looking back, do you wish you would have acted sooner, encouraged social distancing sooner? No, I I think to put my comments in context, why, what I was reacting to 
was what I thought was some irresponsible comments, not only by the CDC, but Homeland Security, that scared people, but didn't give them any solutions. And so what we've been about in this city is making sure that we are clear-eyed, that we are telling people the truth, but we're also telling them what we can do as a city government to help them navigate this and then things that they can do in their own daily lives. Just scaring the bejesus out of people, which is what happened um, in that February moment, which I did find frustrating, I thought was extremely unhelpful. And it, it is unfortunately followed a pattern of what we've seen uh, from the federal government where the answers are halting. There doesn't seem to be a cohesive plan. Every single day that we see a press conference, we see something said or done that contradicts something that was said or done the day before. So what we're, where we've tried to be in this city and respond to this virus is to make sure um, that we are clear-eyed, following the science and the data, and that's what we've done. But we've done it in a way that isn't scaring people even more than what they already are feeling trepidation about in their daily lives and making sure um, that we are doing everything that is necessary to keep the public safe and giving individuals tools that they can use. At the time, though, the warning was that it's not if but when coronavirus would come to the U.S., and it did suggest schools closing and teleworking. We know those things didn't happen until much later. Do you think the response from the city and from the state should have come in sooner? We know that Election Day went forward ahead as usual. We know that St. Patrick's Day, there were tons of people out um, attending parties at bars. Were there things that the city and the state could have done to slow the spread of this virus more quickly? Well, I think if you look at our timeline on when we started closing down large gatherings, again, based upon the data that we were getting um, and the science, um, if you look at us and you compare the city, the state um, to others across the country, and particularly the areas of of the country that were hit initially and hard on the West Coast and on the East Coast, um, you will see from the timeline that we were amongst the first to take these big, bold, decisive actions. Jen, the truth is no one really understood the magnitude of this problem uh, until we were really in it. Yes, we saw what was happening in our other parts of the world, and we were absolutely following that um, intently. And we then started to see what was happening, particularly on the West Coast and in San Francisco and Washington State around Seattle and, and King County, Washington. And we absolutely took that as a cautionary tale. And the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago, if you look at um, where we were, which was a, a, a number of initial cases where it was relatively small, we were bold in taking the action that we did when we did. Look, there are a lot of people that said, you know, what are you doing closing down St. Patrick's Day? But we knew that it was absolutely essential. And we tried um, mightily at the very beginning um, to educate people in the compliance, but it became clear that we needed to take more drastic actions to get compliance. And that's precisely what we've done. So the timeline and the context really are important for your listeners to understand. Well, the fallout from COVID-19 has also raised grave concerns about access to social services and housing. We got a listener question about that. This is Will from Lakeview. My question is about the rent strike and whether or not Mayor Lightfoot supports it. During this crisis, will she start taxing the rich Will our social safety net be able to hold out 
and what is she going to do to expand it? Mayor Lightfoot, your thoughts? Well, look, I, I am going to be the same person I've been for the last almost 11 months, which is I'm going to be driven by the data and, this, and in particularly with respect to the response to the pandemic, driven by the science. Um, but we have, I think, demonstrated throughout um, my term as mayor um, that we also have to be a compassionate city. We have to be a city that is resolved around equity and inclusion. That's why we stood up a $2 million fund um, to help people uh, with their um, rent and mortgage payments. That's why we're continuing to explore other ways in which we can uh, bring people relief who are losing their jobs or who have substantially reduced hours um, and are really scrambling to try to put food on the table and pay uh, their rent and pay their mortgages. Uh, We're trying to do this in a holistic and thoughtful way, but we understand entirely that people are under, under distress, which is why we took these initial actions. We stood up a small business resiliency fund where I'm Please uh, say that the first loans of that uh, went out the door the other day. 5,700 people had applied. The vast majority uh, or the average person uh, business that's getting help um, has employees of five, which is incredible. That means these are small neighborhood businesses. And the overwhelming number of the folks uh, who have applied are people of color. So we are trying to be as responsive as we can. We know rent is uh, one of those issues, um, but we're going to remain steady in the core values um, that um, I believe in, that we've expressed and articulated over these last uh, 10 plus months uh, to make sure that we are responding to the needs in a thoughtful, data-driven way as quickly as we can in the middle of this crisis. At the same time, you just finished a historically difficult budget, and even before the pandemic, you decided not to raise property taxes. You took that off the table for the time being. But what does this mean for the city's budget going forward? Is raising property taxes something that we can even avoid at this point? Well, look, um, first of all, we're in the 2020 budget, and we, in thinking about the, this year's budget, we anticipated a significant uh, economic downturn as part of our assumptions and our forecast. Now, no one thought that it, there'd be an economic downturn as a result of a pandemic, um, but certainly there was um, things in the market um, that made us think that, that 2020 would be a year um, that the market would slow down and that there, there could potentially be a recession. So those were baked into our assumptions. Luckily for us, um, Chicago has a very um, diverse economy. And so while certain sectors are absolutely been really hit hard, and I think in particular about our restaurant and hospitality businesses and our service industries, people who are working in the gig economy, there are other aspects of our economy that are booming, grocery stores and suppliers that uh, provide foodstuffs. Uh, We have uh, a number of different manufacturing plants that are converting um, their uh, businesses to help produce um, goods and products that are necessary to help fight uh, COVID. I was just um, this morning with a company uh, that's been in Chicago for, for decades that converted um, some of its manufacturing to produce gloves and masks. So you're seeing kind of the yin and the yang from an economic standpoint. It's important for, I think, your listeners to know that um, no one revenue stream um, makes up more than 13% of our revenue for our budget. The other thing that's important is that the economically sensitive taxes, things like sales taxes or income taxes from the state, um, in the aggregate, those don't make up more than 25% um, of 
uh, our revenue streams. You know, will we take a hit? I think that, that that's a certainty. What the magnitude of it is, um, it's too soon to know that. Some of the things that we are um, outlaying monies on, we will be reimbursed from the federal government um, as part of the various stimulus packages and also emergency relief that's always there. But yes, it, it, it will have impact. Um, but we are literally studying this on a daily basis um, and making sure that we minimize the impact. I've said this before, while I can't take property taxes off the table, that is the absolute last resort um, that I would ever go to. And as we um, get on the other side of this, and we're still many, many weeks away from that, um, we'll take a hard look at whether or not we need to make any adjustments in the 2020 budget um, and what the impact is going to be uh, for 2021. Well, turning to schools, uh, schools right now are out until April 30th per Governor Pritzker's extended stay-at-home order. We're hearing from a lot of parents who are very anxious about planning for the possibility of the remainder of the school year being out. What can you tell us about the likelihood that CPS classes will be out for the remainder of the year? Well, I can't tell you that. Um, That's a decision that's going to be made uh, by the Illinois State Board of Education. Uh, Dr. Janice Jackson and her leadership team are um, in frequent, um, meaning multiple times a week, uh, contact with the uh, ISBE folks. Um, What we are doing is making sure that whatever the circumstances are, that we're prepared and that we don't slip back from the gains that our students are making. We've got a very, very diverse um, student body, as you know, uh, student population of every, every ilk. They're in every neighborhood in the city. Um, some have resources. Many do not. And so as part of the re- remote learning uh, process that will go into place on the 13th, uh, we are spending a significant amount of time talking to teachers, talking to building principals, uh, and making sure that we have the supports our uh, kids need to be able to continue to build on their success um, and to learn throughout this year. So while we're physically uh, 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 separated and the school buildings are closed, uh, we are still very much open for business when it comes to our students' learning and making sure um, by working with those building principals who really know their school population the best that we are um, being flexible and nimble to meet the needs, whether it's our students who have IEPs and making sure that those aids um, are open and available to them and teachers are being responsive, whether it's places in the city where we continue to be challenged by a digital divide. We're working to get devices um, into the hands of those students and really um, pressing um, carriers uh, to make sure that they step up in this moment of need and and think creatively about ways in which we can get our students and their families access uh, to Wi-Fi that's that's absolutely critically important. So I I have to give it credit where credit is due to Dr. Janice Jackson, Dr. Tanya McDade, our chief education officer, and the entire team at CPS. They've been working tirelessly to make sure that they're reaching the students where they are um, in their physical, emotional, and intellectual needs so that learning continues. I want to turn to the Chicago Police Department. Yesterday, you announced that one officer, Marco DeFranco, was the first in the department to die of COVID-19. There are now a total of 76 cases throughout the department, 74 of which are Chicago police officers. What's being done to protect officers who are still very much coming to work and enforcing the stay-at-home order in the city? 
Well, a couple of things. First and foremost, um, Superintendent Beck and his leadership team have been communicating uh, with the entire department about how much they care about them um, and how much they uh, want to make sure that they are safe, that they are protected, that their families are safe. And while we are literally monitoring every single day uh, what the, um, uh, the sick count is, what the number of officers are that have been exposed. Uh, we're also making sure that those officers are first and foremost taking care of themselves. And so while we've seen an uptick in the number of officers who are, who are reporting um, that they are sick and staying home, that's consistent with the guidance that we've given, which is if you're sick, even a little bit, as Dr. Artie likes to say, you must stay home. And that applies with equal measure uh, to our first responders. We have pushed out literally hundreds of thousands of uh, masks and gloves and hand sanitizers. I was uh, really gratified to hear how schools and restaurants and businesses have just incredibly rallied <clears throat> to the cause of our first responders um, and donated from their own stocks things to help our first responders on top of what the Department of Public Health has been pushing out by the literally the hundreds of thousands of equipment and supplies um, for them to keep them safe. So first responders, whether you're police, fire, our call takers and dispatchers, our frontline workers are a huge priority for us. Our Chicago Transit Authority workers who are continuing to make sure that Chicago remains on the move and people that have to work are getting there and, and we haven't had reductions in service um, so that we can make sure that people can practice social distancing. All these things that go on every day, these unsung heroes are making Chicago proud, and we have to be there for them. And if I can add, uh, we announced um, earlier this week that the Essex Hotel and the Oxford Group, God bless them, um, have agreed to um, have a hotel, Essex House, that is um, designated for our first responders to have respite. And we've had over 100 uh, folks take advantage of this of this resource. We will be bringing online a similar hotel resource for healthcare workers. Um, but we care very much about the frontline workers who are getting us through this terrible pandemic. As we wrap up here, Mayor, one thing an extreme event like this, like a pandemic, really highlights um, are the inequities that exist in our city and, and how many people are without or who are living right right on the bubble. Mm -hmm. What kind of message would you like to leave Chicagoans about how you're going to approach leadership, not just in this moment, but after we're on the other side of this pandemic? It's ironic with the benefit of hindsight that I made um, ending poverty in a generation one of the cornerstones of my administration. You know, we held a poverty summit um, at the end of February, which seems like a lifetime ago, and spent the day talking about where we'd been what the inequities are, um, and where we need to go as a city. And I think everybody came out of that experience with a renewed spirit and, my, how the world has changed. But you're 100% right. The strengths of our city shine through, but the places where people are vulnerable, where their needs have become even more extreme um, and obvious in trying to fight this pandemic. That's why we've spent a lot of time and resources thinking about our most vulnerable citizens and residents and making sure that we see them. 
And by that, I mean really strengthening the social safety net as best we can uh, through this pandemic, whether it's our seniors, whether it's people with underlying medical conditions, families that need food, um, or the homeless. This has been one of the three pillars of our response uh, to COVID-19, and we have more to do. And the bold poverty agenda that we set for ourselves as a city um, is needed now more than ever. That's Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Mayor Lightfoot, thanks for speaking with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Jen. And that's today's Reset. For the latest, most accurate news about the COVID-19 outbreak, keep your radio on 91.5 WBEZ or stream us at WBEZ.org. I'm Jen White. Please do your part to combat the virus by staying indoors as much as possible. Take care of yourself and your loved ones. And let's talk again soon.